Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. But the Cappuccino Cowboys in frothy form at the moment, their second try. Good evening. Welcome to the Melcast. Good evening. Good evening. So Ulster have announced that they're going to uh, have Scotland forwards coach Dan McFarland as their new head coach. Uh, there's a couple of sticking points. We've talked a lot about Ulster. But there's a couple of sticking points that make it sort of... Uh, problematic in the way that Ulster managed to do things. Uh, the SRU said they won't release him until January and also Ulster still haven't hired uh, a director of rugby um, for that position. Um, what do you think in a general sense of the announcement? And obviously it's, it's positive that they have a coach. Yeah, I think I think the announcement was leaked before uh, before all the the documentation and agreements were were finished, um, which has probably put uh, Ulster and Dan McFarland in uh, in a difficult enough position. And the Scots have been, from what has been reported, they've been quite gung ho about saying that he's going to stay the course for his period of after his period of announcing he was going to leave, and that would take him up to. Uh, mid January 2019, um, which would put if if that if that pans out, that puts Ulster in a terrible position again, with no with no coach for five out of their six Heineken Cup group fixtures. You know, of, of course they'll push some chairs around and, and there'll be somebody in that in that coach's uh, coach's position, but. I don't think it is going to come down to that. I think that Ulster or the IRFU are going to pay Scotland some some money and, and he'll be in place to um, to take over Ulster in time for the season. But whether or not he'll be in place uh, with immediate effect to come in and take a full preseason is another question. Mm. You know, We saw the difficulties that Connacht had uh, when Karen came in, Karen Keane came in without a, a preseason. And they lost four out of their first five games. Their only win was against the Southern Kings. Um, it puts it puts a team and a coach uh, off the pace from the get go. Because if if you come in, it's just like it's just it's really reasonable. If you come in with and you're just immediately coaching a side who you've never met before, and you're playing your first game in ten days' time or whatever, you are not going to be up to speed. Uh, and it's safe to say, if there's no director of rugby in position, then who's going to be in charge of the recruitment throughout the summer? Or like, I mean, even now, the, the, they've lost a lot of players. Well, two exactly. more senior players retiring. You know, Ulster, um, when when David Humphreys was was in charge, really pioneered the the role of director of rugby in, a, in an Irish province. Uh, he performed that job extremely well. He was the director of operations, as we know, beforehand for a number of years, I think three seasons before becoming uh, director of rugby. Um, and I think it's I think that the position and the, the hierarchy is, is really sensible for 
uh, the Irish provinces that you have somebody who is who can afford to think overall of the longer term, can afford to think of succession plans and academy while being directly linked to the on-pitch coaching side, but doesn't have to deal with everything. Um, well, everything the mm-hmm. way that the way that that Joe Schmidt did. Mm-hmm. If you recall, when Joe Schmidt came in, he was attack coach, defense coach, head coach, director of rugby, and it was there was too much, too much power was really uh, concentrated in, in 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 one position, you know. So while Leo is uh, nominally the head coach, and um, Stuart Lancaster is the senior coach, I think when you look at it objectively or abstractedly. Leo performs most of the roles as director of rugby, and Stuart Lancaster performs most of the roles as the head coach. Leo is obviously the Ford's coach um, as well, but there's always been a little bit of leeway in that in that uh, assignation of particular roles. Mm-hmm. So Ulster went into uh, the Les Kiss as director of rugby situation with, and it seemed like that was going to be a good fit for them. It hasn't worked out, and I don't know if that's put them off, the idea of that position. I think it's really difficult to do it other... I think it's, I think it's difficult to go back to the head coach model, though, because there just seems to be too much to it. Uh, winding back even before uh, Joe Schmidt, when Declan Kidney was there, and Kidney, Kidney was there for one season, and Gavin Hickey is the guy whose name comes to mind, that uh, he wasn't given a contract, and a week later... Um, Kidney had announced that he was he was out of there the following season, and you, like you're trying to explain to guys who have lost their jobs uh, on your say so that by the way that decision I made about your future isn't my future. I'm like there, there's so like is 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 that the chief like is that the chief execs role? The chief exec has to have a role in some of the contract negotiations as well. Um, Director of rugby. Well, New Sephora seems to be also making sure that there's a bit of continuity. Yeah, but he he's not he doesn't have Ulster's best interest yeah. at heart. Yeah. Uh, you know he's he's there to make sure that Team Ireland perform as well as they can and sort of you know make sure that Sevens is good and sort of you know he's he's got his own performance metrics and they're not Ulster rugby. Um, and like what I'm thinking of is. Um, like what does what does the director of rugby do? Um, Dean Richards is the guy who I he was one of the first directors of rugby, and the, like Dean Richards when he was at Harlequins, like used to turn up the training on a Friday, uh, but he picked the team and he had coaches that would run it, and you sort of go so like so what does what does he do? Um, and I think it's a bit like what a football manager does and I know okay so Jurgen Klopp seems to be very on the pitch and there there has been a move back towards sort of more coaching managers but but Ferguson you know famously was uh, you know had all these coaches like Kiroz and Brian Kidd and McLaren and all you know all, all these guys who, who did the coaching who took the sessions mm-hmm. and rugby's gone that direction and uh just to me, it makes sense in that the the job is a big job. So McFarland's coming from that coaching background, and he's he's not coming from maybe the, he's not coming from the management background, and he's certainly not coming from 
a situation where he's well, you know, he's been in Connacht, where he's accustomed to all the fans, uh, not all the fans, but like a sizable proportion of the fans looking to chuck out Shane Logan. Like if you'd asked Ulster fans two years ago who the CEO of Ulster Rugby was, I'd say that a lot of them couldn't have named. But now they just know Logan because they want to get rid of him. Um, so he's, it's it's. It's a difficult situation that he's going into and the reason that it's difficult is the nature of coaching is how much job security do you have. So this is sort of where the Kieran Keane um, firing really is the best way to describe it. it runs sort of in parallel to this story mm-hmm. that like McFarland is going into a situation where he doesn't have a lot of control over things. He's, he's been offered a head coach job. It's the obvious step up for, for a guy get uh, profile and to enable yourself to get other jobs like mm-hmm. I mean sort of being a head coach is a lot like being a politician is that like your your first job in a way is to make sure that you can get your next job so look at Cockers like I mean you know the, and the fact that it doesn't work out and it did work out for Cockers for a long time in Leicester and mm-hmm. then it stopped working and it looked like uh, sure, like Jesus like you know where else is Cockers going to go other than Leicester it's all he knows and like you know Leicester's a great club and Cockers is kind of he's going to find it really hard and he's 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 proved himself by going to Edinburgh and doing uh, you know a very good job uh, he'll definitely get a job somewhere else after Edinburgh on, on, on the basis of his Edinburgh work more so than his yeah. Leicester work he pitched up in, in, in Toulon as well, if you recall, almost directly after he was fired. And somebody liked the look of him and said, oh, listen, bring in Cockrell. As a kind of consultant, wasn't he? Yeah, consultant Ford's coach. And he, I think the job he's done in Edinburgh has been first class. And I, th- I think a coach that came is a huge addition to the league. Um, something that struck me there just as you were talking was that uh, Bryn Cunningham might be announced as the director of rugby who uh, seems to be the only member of the Ulster Brass who the uh, supporters like at the moment. Uh, He's always been involved in contracts and signing players. Um, So I think that 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 could be in order to maintain some sort of continuity and he he was he was essentially the, the next step down from Les Kiss anyway in terms of the administration side of the coaching staff. Uh, so I think that he could he could find his name uh, as as director of rugby. Yeah, like and I think is he operations director? I like, think he's operations well, director. Hum- yeah. Humphreys was operations director, and he couldn't even like it was a weird situation where Ulster had pretty much everyone on their staff on their website except David Humphreys, and you're going Ulster rugby is David Humphreys mm. like. He's he's pulling the strings here, left, right, and centre. But you, you couldn't find exactly what it was he did, other than just having the David Humphreys role that they created for mm. him. So, like Ulster's problem is that it's in complete turmoil. So they need they need bodies in there. They needed to announce a head coach so that they could go and say to prospective players, and the obvious guys being the the two Leinster fly halves who are being lined up. One of them to go up to, excuse me, one of them to go up to Ulster. That we have look, a coach. We have a coach. Now they're in a situation where it's kind of obvious that they don't have a director of rugby and they mightn't have a coach until the middle of January. And, like, what, what sort of situation is, is this coach? Is, is, is McFarland going to see out his three years if Ulster have, a, like have another shambles of a season next season? And all of this might blow over 
and you know McFarland would be on the pitch in September and he'd be ensconced in Ravenhill in June and he'd be able to go through a whole pre-season but at the moment it's uh, it's just it's a mess and they need to fill that director and I think look they need to get Brian Cunningham will mm. be the obvious guy as a body in there and they sort of need to say like I don't know how good a job Cunningham has done at Ulster because they're in this sort of mess and I don't think it's his responsibility and everybody wants to blame Logan because he wasn't a former favourite as a, as a player. Um, Blowhard but, as well. Uh, yeah, but it, but it's almost like Cunningham's actually in a strong position if if they do look to, like, you know, if he does look for that director of rugby role because you can go to them and go, lads, like, you can't be getting rid of me after two seasons. Yeah. Like, I don't care if it's a mess, you know, unless I'm under severe stress here. Uh, we're going to blame the coach and I'm going to steady the ship and, Yeah, you know I'm ulstered through and through and it's this is a bit like you know with Byrne and Carberry that people are sort of saying you know oh they should um, they can stay where they want they should stay if they want if they're not getting good enough money but they're in a very strong negotiating position mm-hmm. uh, to ask for a load of cash, and they should receive it because Ulster need an out half. Yeah. And there are a few can find the money, or the wealthy cartel of beef farmers can find the money and j- just pay up. Uh, like, particularly if you're Ross Byrne, you're going like, you're going to get a payday that you mightn't get again in your career. Like, Kieran Frawley is knocking on the door. Um, it's going to be very competitive. In, in Leinster but I mean this this is a great opportunity for Ross Byrne to get a three year deal on savage money to be like the number one out of half talking about three year deals now we'll go back to to Kieran Keane who we mentioned earlier which that was a really I, I thought it was a very unexpected piece of news a great scoop um, from Fanning to get it out so quickly before and Connors were really scurrying around when it, when it was broken to fire Kieran Keane um, about nine months into a three-year contract was, to me, I um, I thought it was a bad decision. Um, well, what, what did you think of it, though? Do you think were results that bad? They only won seven league games. I didn't. I didn't get it as a decision. Like, there's a fairly small pool of guys who are proven coaches, and Kieran Keane is a proven coach. You, like, look, Keane reminded me of, of uh, Murray Kidd, you know, calling everybody fuck knuckles and making them do down and ups. And I don't know if he called anybody that or if he made them do any down and ups, but like, he's just that sort of hard, wiry, tough as nails Kiwi. That is he from Dunedin or something? Like um, that? <laughs> he is a Christchurch guy, yeah, yeah, like, you know, just doesn't. It doesn't, a, it doesn't export, it doesn't yeah. export very well. Mm-hmm. Um, like he he's got none of like Pat Lamb in his in his final seasons reminded me of a mix of like some sort of messianic shaman and David Brent and it just like, because results went his way he seemed more the former than the latter but like some of the stuff he said you're just there gone is he is he just reading this from like uh, internet quotes that he's found but Brendan like, Rogers probably yeah <laughs> but but the thing is like when you, when you get the results. <laughs> When you yeah, like when you get the results, uh, you, like all that stuff seems profound. Mm. Whereas when you when you don't, you seem like an absolute spoofer. So, but like Keane can coach, but then 
so look at look at look at Leinster's situation with who's doing the media during the week, and it's it's Stuart Lancaster. And Stuart Lancaster can go out and he can give a brilliant interview because he has experience. This isn't the only reason, but because he's got experience of dealing with Fleet Street, who like the the most the rawest of the, the rawest. rawest. Yeah. I mean, like there's just this enormous media machine. Um, the London-based, the whopping Fleet Street Press, call him what you will. Because he's that experience, and because like the pressure isn't on him, like it's it's Leo Cullen's show. Even though everybody sort of you know, Lancaster can go out and sort of do that in his own time, rather than having to go out and having to face the press when he's under enormous pressure. And the interview that I remember wasn't um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a rugby interview. It was actually a football interview, and it was Noel King was in charge of Ireland on an interim basis for oh, I uh, that, yeah, two yeah, or three yeah, matches. Yeah, yeah. And Tony O'Donoghue yeah. asked him like a fairly innocuous question. And King had like King bit his head off, and like King just started spouting on like a guy who was outside a pub at two o'clock in the morning. But you, but you sort of think to yourself, that's part of the job that you you don't really see because all the guys who make it to the Premiership are so good at talking to the media, and it's such a big job. And the Premiership, the football Premiership, is is so much about the manager because all those guys are contracted; they're all obliged to speak to the press. So they're the fellas that you see. Uh, their quotes in the newspapers and you see the talking heads on the TV rather than the players. And it's why people talk about managers in the premiership so much mm-hmm. is because you have to, <laughs> it, like they're always on the telly and they're really, really good at, they're really, really polished. So like Keane wasn't good at that. And if Keane had a director of rugby who could go out and say the right thing and like, it, it's more than a PR job, you know, like it's more than like a club PRO, but um, no, but you have to be able to manage your situation. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's one thing which I'm constantly reminded of. Uh, it was the name of Dunphy criticism of Mick McCarthy goes, "You're supposed to be a manager, manage it," <laughs> which I thought was I thought was, you know, it was good. It's a good line, but it's also true. You have to manage situations as well as people. Um, and you know, for all managers, um, when they address the media, when they're going one on one, especially post match, they just have to be reminded by their PR officer, the last one to go in, you go, you are not having an interview one-on-one with this interviewer. You're talking to everybody watching the game. This guy is just a vessel. He's a medium of communication. You're talking to the fans. So if you come off as really short-tempered and abrupt, you're coming off as short-tempered and abrupt to all the fans, not to the interviewer. Mm. So Keane does have weaknesses in that regard. He was a school teacher. Um... And he has a sort of schoolmasterly way, but not like a charming schoolmaster, Joe Schmidt way, just like really super terror Kiwi schoolmaster. Uh, where some of the other guys who have a drier sense of humor, some of the, the Kiwi coaches like Pivak and uh, Steve Hansen were cops. Cops, yeah. Dave Rennie used to own. Uh, he did a lot of stuff. Yeah, he did loads Champion of stuff. Ballroom dancer, Champion around ball- pubs. Yeah, around pubs, you know. He's a, he's a much wider field, whereas, you know, Graham Henry. Very dry sense of humor. So he was a school teacher as well. Joe Schmidt's a super kind school teacher. Whereas uh, Kieran Keane is just a super, super dour, number eight wire, the Kiwi school teacher. But I doubt that he had uh, the capability or the desire to convince anybody else that was interviewing him that he was anything but that. So. He probably did his interview via Skype and he probably had a number of interviews with the Connick board. And I I don't know how they could possibly have mistaken what they thought they were getting. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you made that comment on Twitter and someone said, oh, it's more the off-the-field stuff. It seems like the reason he got fired is that they didn't win enough games. And when the guy's not likable, it's easy to blame him. Like Pat Lamb's first season at Connacht was a bit of a washout as well. Didn't he lose the first nine games or something like that? Well, his first season was, was bad and his last season was bad. Like the rot started pretty much the day after they won the the Pro 12 at the time. If you recall, they had a, a pre-season where two oh, yeah. of their... Two of their friendlies were cancelled. Whether or not they were cancelled, I don't know. Whether or not they were, they were even the fixtures were even made is it's you know it's very difficult to find the information about who was who they were supposed to be playing. So they I think they'd won preseason game against Grenoble early in in uh, in August, and then they went out and they got hosed in their first two games as defending champions. They played Glasgow and Ospreys and conceded thirty or forty points in each. Um, so, you know, Lamb's last season, and this was before he announced that he was leaving, they already, it was, their title defence was extremely poor. Um, it's very difficult. I, I, I just don't see the logic in firing Keane after nine months. He didn't have a pre-season. He, was, he, he didn't think he was going to get fired either. Everything that has been, um, that I've read or I've heard suggests that he was going to sit down probably have some very stern words with some players who he thought were underperformers uh, and and then move into a uh, move into a, a preseason and and get them you know if you read there's there was an article when he was appointed David Kelly in the independent wrote an article and he talked about how he sort of changed around the culture in the Tasman Macos and um he was, you know, they were they were an entertaining team. He thought, but a soft team, and he was he like wanted them to put the effort that they put into throwing the ball around into smashing people. And I look at Connacht and I think that's a very and uh, that's a reasonable criticism of them. Yeah, and you go back to Cockrell and you go, that's that's exactly what he did with Edinburgh, and I think. The reason these two bleed into each other, the, the Connacht and the Ulster stories, is McFarland. McFarland is, is the common link. So McFarland went was was Pat Lamb's forward coach, mm. um, and now he's been given a head coach job, and he went on to a national forwards job. So he's he's a guy um, that you know I suppose a, a bit like Easterby. He's done things in slightly different order. Simon Easterby now rather than yeah. guy, but like he's done things in slightly different order. But again. Pat Lamb obviously had a, a good coaching panel there and could do sort of more of the player recruitment thing and could focus much more on building culture and can give mm. the sort of the media articles. And for, again, like for, I was watching a program about this guy, this Aussie guy who renovated a Ballon of Fat House uh, in County Mayo and he made it a wedding venue. It's one of these kind of RTE property programs about like these great houses of Ireland. And he was a, uh, cabinet maker this is what he's saying on the on the program anyway by by trade and you could see him making all these sash windows and apparently like he saved quarter of a million by doing it himself rather than paying somebody else to do it then they had to accelerate the process because friends of theirs were getting married so he had to get a load more workers in it became a project manager and he goes oh i just spent all my time answering questions about from other people i don't really get any work done and the line just rang out to me and i went mate that's your job now mm. like 
and I think he knew like he knew that it wasn't he wasn't naive about it but it's there must have been people all over the country kind of going but that's my work <laughs> that that's a, my job is just constantly asking you know answering questions from people and enabling them to do their jobs and that's that's the sort of the director of rugby role so that's that's why I think McFarland's um I think I think it'll be a big I think it's going to be a big step up for him anyway mm-hmm. uh regardless of when he, like I mean and the confusion around when he starts like if he doesn't start with a preseason he's under a massive amount of pressure huge pressure I think getting rid of Keane at the same stage like who who are you going to replace him with unless Connacht overhaul Do they overhaul the structures? Because the structures don't make it right either. Like Ulster looked like they had a great structure with Les Kiss being the director of rugby and Sean O'Gibbs is getting sort of indigenous Ulster guys in as the coach and then getting high profile guys, like guys who've been successful as coaches with Gibbs and uh, getting a guy like Dwayne Peel in from outside of Ulster. That looked like, you know, this is this is a great solution. That was a disaster. Um, so there's, it's... Um, there's no, there's no easy answer to it. And no, there's no easy answer. But I think, I presume Connacht's decision to sack Keane is, um, like, it's that's entirely their own. They're not. I mean, as far as I'm aware, it is, and it, it yeah. comes at a time. I suppose again, the reason why this is um, probably more pressing is that the Pro 14 has become much more competitive since ever. Um, that you've got Treviso, who are miles better than they were. Zebra um, much better. Zebra much better. Now Zebra are an odd team, and that like that match they played in the RDS, they just they just looked like a team who weren't they, they had no belief that they could win it, even though they had a lot of good players, a lot of guys in uh, Italian internationals. Mm-hmm. But you sort of go, God, like if they get rid of that mentality, like there are good footballers in that full strength Zebra team, uh, and they beat Treviso. Which is a measure of their strength. Connacht home and away as well this season. And they'd be Connacht home and away. Edinburgh are miles stronger than they've been. The um, Cheetahs are a good addition. Cheetahs are a good addition. The Kings, and the Kings can't be that bad again because they were parachuted in having lost all their players. But there's there's so many good South African players that like it's it's inevitable. They can't get any worse. Put yeah, it like that. Yeah. It's they're, inevitable. Exactly. Good players they're, will, will. They're going to get. They're going to get better. So, it's it's a much more. Um, it's a league that's going to expose your frailties far more uh, than in previous in 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 previous years, uh, which is a good thing. And maybe even the Welsh regions with centralised contracts are. Probably going to get stronger across the board rather than like obviously the Ospreys have always been strong. The Scar, sorry, the Ospreys have been really, really strong on occasion at different seasons. Like they've been champions three times. Um, the Scarlets have been excellent the last few seasons. So like they have been really good Welsh teams, but more I'm sort of thinking where you might have a situation where like you'd have two or three of the Welsh regions in the top four, which is you know like certainly having two Irish teams in the top four has become commonplace for Irish supporters. Mm-hmm. But it's not unthinkable that the Welsh could have two or three mm-hmm. uh, based on the skill level and the ability of their players if they just got their shit together. Yeah. There's no that's, a lot, that's a lot easier said than done. Absolutely right. But there is no reason why... Like, Wales consistently feel an extremely competitive international side. Like one of the best international... So, so do Ireland. Um, but... You know, George North, I think, is going to the Ospreys. 
Um, and I know he won't play a huge amount of games, but he's not like George North had his best, and he will be managed much better than he was managed in Northampton. Uh, George North playing, you know, fourteen or fifteen games for the Ospreys, he's going to score. He's going to score tries, and he's going to absolutely scatter defenders. He and he'll he'll attract people to go to see the Ospreys as well. You know, the Ospreys had a down year this year, but normally, you know, for a long time, they'd been the standard bearer for the Welsh um, regions, and I think that they. I don't think they'll catch up with the Scarlets next year, but I think that they will have a much stronger season. Um, so, uh, overall, you know, that Pro 12, it was, it was, a, it was a pity that the Cheetahs were, were, were so lame when they came up to play the Scarlets in the, the knockout there at the weekend. You know, they weren't really at the races. Um, this, this round, this sort of barrage round, as they call it in France, was... Slightly underwhelming with a quite a poor game in front of a small crowd in Thoman Park, and then uh, a walkover really in in um, Parky Scarlets. But leading up to some really big na- <laughs> big name semi finals post uh, post Heineken Cup final. Yeah, um, I mean, aside from the obvious one, uh, the Leinster Munster game, I guess. It's- Glasgow and Scarlets are the two uh, non-Irish teams who've caught the imagination the most in recent years, uh, particularly for the way they play rugby. That's sort of a mouth-watering tie as well to lead into. Yeah, I think I think those two semi-finals are cracking ties. Mm. Glasgow didn't really get a shake at it in the European Cup this year because they're the hardest group and they were kind of gone after two games. They were, but they're and the, and as a result, probably didn't give it their 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 best shot. Um, but they have been, they've walked away with Conference A and they've been, they've been the best non-Irish team for the last few years. Mm, well, the Scarlets as well, though, you know. Um, so I just think, well, that, I think those two... It's just over a longer period yeah, of time. They're that's bit, true. They were, they, the year that Connacht won, they were some, somehow beaten by Connacht twice in, this, in the space of two weeks in the same ground. Um, yeah. And then, but that was all Connacht's sort of Reservoir of belief that they had at the time, from all the inspirational quotes they had been hearing, <laughs> um, and then they 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 had won it. Was it the, was it the previous year they'd won it? Or yeah, they, they won it the previous yeah. year. They beat Munster. They yeah. beat Munster in the final, and then the year previous to that we'd beat them in the final. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So like they, I just mean they've been there on a kind of yeah, they've been there thereabouts uh, for quite a while now. So it's very difficult to look past the European Cup final and concentrate on a domestic semi final, but. Um, you know, for for like t- three of the teams involved, that's they have no involvement in that in that Heineken Cup final, obviously, and they'll be looking, preparing for preparing for you know a big season defining defining game for them. And four really good teams. Four really that good there's teams. Like the the Pro Fourteen signed, uh, they're getting more TV money in. Basically, like they've gone with there, they've gone with Premier Sports, they've signed a better deal. The South African guys are on board. They bring a bit more cash in. Like it's another big economy coming in. Um, and you know the the league looks as cobbled together as it is. It looks it 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 is a lot stronger. It's mm. it's it's matured well. They've um. Like Guinness are there now, Rabo are there, so there's a lot of 
Um, there's a lot of good rugby in it. Yeah. And it's it's um, it's it hasn't well, always it hasn't always been that way. I kind of feel like the um, not so much the addition of the two South African teams, but the addition of the two extra playoff places is just so valuable because it keeps the season alive for at least two more teams, if not four more teams, really. Who are like the ones the ones who get in and the ones who don't get in? Yeah, yeah. So that so keeps, each, keeps the meaningfulness in it a lot longer. Yeah. So that each if you have if you have seven um, if you have seven teams in each conference, that four of those teams are sort of involved mm-hmm. right until the end. So that means eight teams are really involved, maybe rather than five. Yeah, and the the barrage thing is and like the league has always struggled to. Um, capture the imagination unless your team wins it um, but not, not a vintage Six Nations not a vintage Six Nations exactly but now where you're looking at the strength of the four teams and you're going like this like, it's a good league it's really mm. viable like the um, you've got three three of those teams were uh, European semi-finalists were European semi-finalists so the Barrage thing being when it was on and the fact that one of the teams is traveling from a different continent rather than, say, like Cardiff Paint Scarlets, where it would have been like, but that'll capture the imagination more mm. and more. It's not going to become huge because like it's it's an extra match that you have to fork out money for. So they'll and it's f- on short notice as well. It's on short notice, but like they'll, they'll find a price point for it and people will get accustomed to it and they'll sort of go, do you know what? Like this is like this is a free home match for us. It's it's extra revenue. If we mm-hmm. like the more people that, that there's, the more people that come in, that will pay twenty quid rather than a load of people staying away because they have to pay fifty five quid. Like whatever the maths of that mm. is, they'll figure that out when when they sort of know like who who the opposition are going to be and how many people you can expect and all that sort of stuff. Like that that's what the marketing department is for, and the. Uh, I I think it's, but again, just come back to the Irish things. Like it, it makes it tough for Ulster and Connacht, yeah, because uh, because it is a proper competition now. So like, and at least Ulster have have, have named a name. Like I, I don't know what Connacht are going to do. I don't know. I can't see the logic of getting rid of Keane. I don't think he like. Leinster got rid of Matt O'Connor because the rugby was just getting worse and worse and worse. Like, Connacht didn't have a standout season, but they didn't play absolutely dreadful rugby. And Keane, like, Keane's a decent coach. Yeah. They, you know, and unfortunately with Connacht, or, but sort of predictably, like, they won their three games in the sports ground against their provincial neighbours, beat Ulster and, and Leinster in the sports ground very, very convincingly. Uh, and got a decent win over Munster as well, but that was three of their seven wins, and they only won seven games, and they only had ten home games, um, and then eleven away games. They only won one away game out of eleven, you know, uh, which was that's terrible. But they only won six home games out of ten, which that's not good either. And I think one of the things that struck me during the week was uh, that when they won, Bundy Aki was amazing. Whereas now that Bundy's playing for Ireland, he plays like half the matches, if that, for Connacht. And that's kind of like the, the victim of success 
that you know that's just still though if you look if you look down the conic list of players they were able to field a very settled side there's a lot yeah. of players there who played say 19 20 21 games over a thousand minutes over 1100 minutes so while they did have some degree of unsettling you know Quinn Rue played against um Wales Marmion was on the bench for a lot of games Bundyak he that's three players from 23 they weren't missing a whole lot of players so they had a settled squad and you know because I think it's important to say that you know while Keane didn't get a preseason, this or that he also didn't do a good job this season either you know they lost a lot of games mm. without a but you'd argue without a preseason. Mm. Um and and one season is oh far too early to really, make that call really 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 quick for like and um it's something which I sort of started saying earlier I, it does I think it's very legitimate to question the people who gave him the job if they didn't realise that this was what he was like firstly and if they didn't realise the guy that he's like is not the guy that we're looking for you you wonder why are you interviewing people if you don't know this stuff. You know, yeah. Why? Why are you doing the interviews? Because you don't get it. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, the, there's there's a cultural fit aspect that they were looking for for that role. That's one of those sort of things that you say when you assumed everybody who's applying for that job has the qualifications, like has the capabilities of of doing the day to day. Then you're looking for the personality, the way that they're going to do it, and the. the that just goes back to what you're saying. Like, <laughs> how did how did they miss the grimness of Kieran Keane? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and did they not realise that that's not what they were looking for? The cloud didn't like that. <whistles> Referee blows for half time. Let me set the scene. It's ten years ago, just over ten years ago. In fact, it's the year is two thousand and eight. The halftime show is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. The man who made the most famous play of his career is David Tyree. New England and Johnny Sexton's new hero, Tom Brady, have gone 16-0. and Then they've beaten Jacksonville and San Diego in the playoffs. And they go on to lose Super Bowl XLII, which I'm going to say is 38 No, it must be more than that. XL is 43. 42. 42. Embarrassingly bad Roman numerals there. 42. Uh, Adrian's Revenge. <laughs> uh, to the unfancied New York football giants. Leinster stand on the precipice of the best uh, Heineken or European Champions Cup performance of all time having disposed of the top teams from every country in Europe, um, with the exception of Romania, who don't get a team <laughs> in the European <laughs> Champions Cup. Um, what can possibly go wrong? I think it's a good analogy. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully it doesn't come to pass. But that uh, that Giants team were, uh, they had a defence led uh, by a defensive coordinator called Steve Spagnolo, and they defended the shit out of a really high scoring and um, very well coached Patriots side 
Um, from what we've seen of Racing, they're an extremely abrasive defensive side. And they also have a very good defensive line-out. So where Leinster ran up the gut, playing an extremely direct brand or style of rugby against the Scarlets, I think in this game, the onus will be keeping a very high tempo throughout from the first minute through to the 84th or 85th, however long they go on for, maybe even into extra time. Um, as we said before, Racing aren't a particularly old side for a French side, but all French sides are relatively old compared to Irish sides. Um, and I think Leinster's best chance lies in in trying to run the Racing side off their feet and play consistently high tempo for 80 minutes which will hopefully even out Racing's big bursts, which they tend to play in, um, even out and then exceed. Um, I had a feeling during the semi-final that Racing uh, sort of went into their shell and um, played a lot of defence, that they were kind of comfortable to play against Munster. Do you think that's a fair characterization of their performance in the second half, or do you think Munster really were able to take it the game almost back to them? I think a little from column A and a little from column B. Um, Racing certainly didn't want to concede a load of tries in the second half. Uh, they'd built themselves a very, very comfortable margin. But they did look frail and they looked tired at some at some stages. Um and their defence is extreme. You see, Munster, and when the game, the game wasn't in the balance very long, unfortunately, but when the game wasn't, Munster weren't able to hold the ball long enough to put, um, to put Rassing's line speed under threat after, you know, four, five phases. And that they're able to rush up and make tackles and then Munster would make a mistake. Uh, and then they were able to play with the ball, so it's not as tiring as having to rush up and try to make tackles for five or six or seven phases in a row. And then that rushing up gets a bit tiring, and one player might be a little slower than the rest, and that's where the gap appears. Um, so it's it's that semi-final. Both semi-finals were over very early um, in terms of a competition, and this final is a game that won't be over. I don't think it'll be over before the final whistle blows uh, as as a contest. So I, I don't think that the semi-final, uh, either semi-final is going to be a good predictor or a good read on how, how the final goes. The the Racing guys played, the, the, I mean, the two knockout matches, the Claremont match, was almost diametrically opposed where the where the scores came from and that they hung in very well. They were playing away. They were playing Claremont away of all places. And I think when you put those two matches back to back, uh, it's an indication that Racing can Racing have a good mentality and they're very sure of what they're doing. Um, the, which reflects well in the coaches and the recruitment policy. Um, the way that they were able to bring Dan Carter over, but they didn't get they didn't get spooked um, down in down in Claremont. <laughs> in fact, they were the spookers. Uh, Claremont probably were more brittle because they didn't get ahead um, as they were expecting to do. 
and they're I think I think there's there's probably two teams um coming in um each trying to play their own game would be the way that maybe I'd think about it. I mean I think the thing with American football, if you want to, if you draw the parallel, is that one team plays like this is on the same side. So this is like from the Giants, for example. Like one distinct team plays offense, one distinct team plays defense. You can have like eleven plus guys who are you know very very strong on your defensive team, and they can keep you in, and they're completely dis- different from the the guys who play in attack. And whereas in in rugby, it's it's the same it's the same fellas. So. From that point of view, Leinster's all-court game has been very good all the way through in that they scored the five tries, or how many, how many was it, six, five tries? Five against, against the, Scarlets. the Scarlets, yeah. But then defended really well against uh, Exeter would be the, the main one. Mm-hmm. Uh, managed to adapt to Saracens, like soaked up quite a lot of Saracens pressure, pretty gave away a few soft penalties. I mean, Leinster's concern might be giving away the soft penalties. Um, but it's a very well-rounded team. It needs to be uh, reinforced that playing the European um, Champions Cup final like two weeks into May is completely fucking stupid. Um, but anyway, it's on this weekend. Uh, we had You're going. Cha- I'm going to it. I'm really looking forward to it. I've been outside the San Mames before. I haven't been inside it. I'm hoping to kiss the bust of the Pichichi in the players' uh, tunnel, but it may not happen. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, inside the stadium and seeing uh, my second European Cup final. Only my second. Um, and I think um, Lancer are going to win it. And I think... Um, I don't know. I... I I, I also feel like if they don't win it, um, and I felt like this basically since they since they qualify for the knockout stage, I think they're the best team in it. And if they don't win it, they'll have almost um, there'll be regrets. Yeah, I think Lancer win by uh, more than a penalty, but less than a try. Twenty four twenty. I expect. Leinster to win by a bit I'd expect Leinster ooh I think like 27-13 uh, I think that but I do I like I completely agree with you I think that there's when you've gone through unbeaten when you've won all those away when you've had such a tough pull when you've played the defending champions when you've done such a good job in the semi against a team that like pulled your pants down last year uh, it's like it's it's set up for you. It can only be a disappointment if if you don't win it. And I think that the Racing team, as we were, like all French teams are are experienced just by by the nature of French rugby, by the fact that the the academy system, the S, like the, every team has espires, but the Pro Fourteen tends to just cream off the best players. And they have the the money model, and and like players move clubs. Players have moved clubs in France forever, for years, hmm. years and years. I was really surprised. This is a short aside. I'll keep it. I'll keep it brief. Do you remember the uh, scrum half Auburn Weber? Yeah, Weber played for like nine clubs as an amateur. You know, amateur for most of it. Um, you're going. Why are you moving? Like you have to move 
you have to move house. You have to move your family. You know, he was... It was explained to me that basically the French players used to get jobs with the municipality. So they just moved from, like, caste municipality to Toulouse municipality uh, and just, just work by not working, playing rugby all the time. But still, they've always moved. They have a second league where their young players can actually play a lot of rugby. You know, 16, 16 teams in the Pro Dida, which means that you get... 30. 30 games you can play in 30 games in a season um and and that's and that's how this this works like it's they have a completely different system than any other rugby country in the world and very i while it's not being particularly good to french international rugby at the moment i think that the french professional rugby uh union system i think they're so much recommended i'm a big fan yeah, as an ecosystem, it's it's excellent. And like even going back before Weber, like we wrote a piece about Jacques Ferrou. Jacques Ferrou played for three clubs. This is back in the fifties and the and the sixties. But and he isn't the only guy. Like if you, you, you Wikipedia any of these guys who played for French teams in the eighties, and all of them they do these like little three-year stints in. You know the other side of the country, yeah. Like working, working in no-show jobs to, yeah. to steal a line from the uh, from the Sopranos. Only presume they have all have mistresses. Oh, absolutely. Caban used to sell champagne. That was his job. <laughs> Ooh la 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 la. Uh, speaking of uh, French transfer market and rugby, uh, the reason I think Leinster will win is that Johnny Saxton uh, won't let this team go slack, and. Um, if for some reason Leinster do find themselves like two tries down or anything like that, we've seen what he can do in those situations in European Cup finals before. I think Leinster are going to win it uh, by eight points, maybe ten points. And that that's and it's it, Sexton's a massive influence in the team, but there's there's a spine of experience. Yeah, it's not just there's, Sexton. There's, yeah, like there, there's a huge like there's so many guys who've won the Grand Slam on the team and it it's one of the things that I thought about during the Six Nations when we were Irish teams there was a huge like it looked like the, the opportunity for Irish teams to compete in Europe had completely gone uh, if media reaction and reaction around the country sort of popular comment so results was three to, in a row for Toulon two in a row for Saracens you're yeah. looking at the, the game had gone from being a Towns Cup to European Champions League, you know, the UEFA Tens Cup, like whereas like, oh, these are the players who were born in whatever, Liverpool or Aston Villa, which is a big city, I believe. <laughs> and the people of Aston Villa will come out and see their team. You know, uh, and then it moved to a Galacticos type of thing. And that's what it looked like with Toulon. First, I remember when Toulon came on strong first and I remember getting quite uh, depressed is far too strong a word, but just thinking, oh, down in the dumps, thinking, oh, this is where European rugby is headed. It's like, there's no craft to this. They've just got a load of money. They're breaking their salary cap or whatever it is, and they're just paying all the best players from New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, and Argentina to play for them. No craft in uh, finding a, a hidden gem. Well, very little craft. They just find the Armitage brothers. Um, and then Saracens did... No, I think Saracens had a better system of finding good English players and bringing English players through and backing them up with undervalued players. But again, huge amount of guys not from, you know, 
not from Saracensville, mm. which is another, you know, reasonably small town to the north of London. <laughs> um, so it's it's great, you know, I'm, particularly because of, uh, you know, I'm a Leinster supporter, but it is great to see that there is some of the um, the parochial in the best sense, uh, that nature coming back into rugby, because rugby is a game which demands effort and huge codependence. And I think that is better formed, not just in a professional environment, but in a, in a collegial environment as well. Yeah. And that, they're very good points. And I was thinking on a slightly different line that I was looking at all the Leinster guys playing for Ireland and thinking, but shit, like all these guys have won a Grand Slam. Like if you, if you were to go out and sign all these guys and they were to be playing for some, they were to be playing for Saracens Town. Yeah. Uh, and you look at their CVs and you go, but like these were all really, yeah. you know, successful this international. Got, this fella has won three Six Nations you know, and the, three Heineken Cups. Um, Who is he? Devon Toner. Yeah, you know, so these guys, Leinster have a team like that. Um, and on the other side of things are Racing. Like, Jesus, if Racing win it, it's, it's another one in the, in the, in, it's another nail in the, I don't know, feather in the cap, nail in the cap. Fe- feather in the feather coffin. Feather in the bed, feather in the bed, <laughs> feather in the coffin. <laughs> um, on the coffin post. <laughs> Feather in the coffin post. Can I go with that one? Can I just repeat that? <laughs> for for a model, but like you have to get that to work as well because there's other there's other teams trying it and it it, it doesn't work. Like I mean if not everybody can throw money at it and it's it it's gonna be successful. Well like his his first go when he said, Okay, I'm not gonna get in older Southern Hemisphere players, I'm gonna get in younger Six Nations players. I'm going to bring in Jamie Roberts, Dan Lydiot, Johnny Sexton. Mm. Um, sorry, I'm talking about the owner of yeah, uh, Lawrence Eddie, yeah, the Lawrence owner of Racing, yeah, and and that just did not work. No, you know, you had these guys who picked up a lot of injuries playing in the Six Nations or picked up injuries playing in um, in in the French League. Whereas I don't know what happens when like these lads, your Juan Smiths and one Smith especially, but you know, Christmas Zoe. Um like just playing on and on and on and on in France at an extremely high level when a, their international careers have been over for like seven years. It's 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 incredibly impressive. Like what we've been sort of giving out about well, certainly I've been giving out about um buying in um Southern Hemisphere players. I am impressed on a, on an individual basis with how much they the best them contribute. Victor Vito would be another one who I know La Rochelle have now uh, sort of fallen out of favour completely, but when they started at the start of this season and last season, he was amazing. I I didn't feel certainly as strongly as a lot of other people did about Toulon. I, I kind of admired the way that Toulon had found a recruitment policy that worked that and again like to go back to the premiership is the obvious comparison like there, there's an enormous amount of money around but like money on its own just isn't enough mm-hmm. like man, man city won the league really well this year but they didn't win it last year like they were, they were miles off the pace like it isn't it isn't just a question of having like massive dollops of cash so like to not have to go out and find fellas who Brought the right culture. Yeah. And like they, did. they went they went out and they got Johnny Wilkinson. Tanu Tanu Maga. 
Tony, first, Tony Wilkinson, Wilco. Matt Gitto, yeah. uh, Ali Williams. Like, and uh, you know, not everybody's an angel, but they culture was a big important thing for them. And I think it's something. And again, like we wrote about it uh, in 2013. But um, I thought that the Lions bringing Stuart Hogg and then saying he's their third choice out half, and like Owen Farrell was much younger and far uh, far less experienced going on that tour. But I thought the reason that Hogg was named as their third choice out half, and I played in these midweek matches where they basically just sacrificed the third, the like, yeah, the, the Brumbies the games, yeah, you know, like, they just sacrificed half the touring party, like to beat the fucking Aussies in a test mm-hmm. series with James O'Connor playing out half. Ooh, wow. Um, was that Johnny Wilkinson politely turned them down? He did turn them down, and he just did it because look, Toulon, like. This nice man, uh, Mr. Mor- Monsieur Moribel, uh, he pays my salary and I'm not going to go back crocked like, to pay for this invitation yeah. team. And it was, it was, it's never really been highlighted. I'd forgotten it, but you're absolutely right. I remember but, at the time. Like, you're looking at a situation, and we were talking about, like, we were talking about Sean O'Brien going on the Lions tour and it being really important. And, and, like, I'm really surprised how much stock the players put in playing for the Lions like they just can't see, get did over did you see when they got their it's, caps it's did you see that little I didn't video? see that no like it's the Gra- Gracer free. got his cap and it's like the only time I've ever seen Gracer smile <laughs> <laughs> oh man like it's it's the ultimate in free kit but Wilkinson turned them down and like that professionalism is is commendable mm-hmm. because like Toulon are the one paying your wages so Nathan Hines didn't. Do you remember Nathan Hines did a letter from Perpignan to pay for the Lions and they sacked him? <laughs> That's why he turned up at Leinster. Didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so here, like, so I, I, and what I like about Racing is that they've they've actually got a, quite a French team in there. Like, they're like Eddie Benarus and Gomez, Camille Chat, Machino, Nianga. So, like, not not to name their entire team, but like, there's a, there's a lot of French guys, and it, it's the sort of the policy of Chavancy. Okay, if we sign like a load of guys from overseas, how are they going to adapt to playing in France? Yeah. Do they know the league? Like, do they sort of know what's expected? Are they going to leg off and play for the Lions at the minute? Like, you know, once somebody is goes, who, ki, who has the Lions? <laughs> I do not pay for the Lions. The Lions. So, um, it's, it's a pretty, like, it's a, it's a really good final. It, yeah. th- there's really, like, there's really good stories there. Um, and, like, Sexton is such a Leinster guy that I'd forgotten I'd, that he played for Racing for two seasons. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, like, we were just Sexton's, talking about that briefly. Beaten. Sexton's coming back to play against his former club. Like, this this is the Johnny Sexton match. I remember when it happened. I remember when Sexton left. Uh, and um, oh, it was like when Tate that broke up. Flags are half-mast. It was... I remember... But do you remember that when... Um, when uh, like the, all the, the sort of first started flying about how he wasn't offered this and that from the IRFU and how vitriolic some of the the commentary was, yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty astounding. I think the whole thing was kind of uh, the reason it gets brushed over is because we won the Six Nations in both those years he was away. You're right, and people think of that. Yeah, you're and right. They, and it, it, in conjunction with the sort of general downturn, it wasn't like. I mean, maybe people were kind of said they blame Matt uh, O'Connor more, or they blamed Saracens and Toulon more. It would have been. It would have been. I, I, 
I wish I would have seen what sex would have made him out. <laughs> that would have come to blows. Um, the interesting thing, again, about Sexton, there was media comment, like Eddie Jones was saying about like Sexton's family must be concerned about him playing rugby last season. And now this week, Sexton's talking about playing rugby until he's 40 because Tom Brady does. And I was there going, Tom Brady has a rule in the NFL that you can't touch him. Like yeah. it's the Tom Brady yeah. rule We've is We've changed all the rules. You can't break Tom's leg anymore. <laughs> God damn it, you can't even touch him. <laughs> like, yeah. There he is playing until he's 40. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently he didn't know Tom Brady was until a couple of years ago. I, I, I found that. I find hard to believe. Hard to believe. So the... It's it's ah look it's it's a great final I I do see where you're going with the sort of the giant I mean people are talking about like oh Racing's lineout defense is you know the second best in the world and they're going like how the hell do you quantify this yeah, absolutely and Dunica Ryan is like oh he watches a lot of tape and again you're going like Jesus like, surely they all watch a lot of tape yeah um, it's like they choke up Yannick Nyang I think Don, look I think Donegal Ryan is, is brilliant to have in any team he's he's one of these guys that when you hear him being interviewed particularly on the radio like you know not when he's just giving sound bites when he's giving sound bites on the telly he looks like he's about to burst his shit laughing and he's ripping the piss all the time I've been sort of coming across like genuine but you're there going ah like he, he's, he looks like a deadly lad yeah but, so we want your team yeah yeah um, so I think I think he's I think he's a great piece of business um, by Rassing to get him, which again is, is interesting. Like you Do know, you know how much Dave Albacetti in their squad? Rassing did Jesus, thirty-eight because I, I was looking at the team thirty-seven or thirty-eight. I was looking at the team that played against uh, Ajin on the they've fifth. Got, they've got Maka's nephew as well. Yeah, Maka's Colossus. Maka's nephew. He's one hundred and fifty kilos, six foot seven. Beverly Maka. <laughs> yeah. And Carries, how many players do they have? Like. All, oh, when you look down there, there if you look at their what they call it effective uh, list, like you you know the names of every single one of their players. Well, maybe maybe there's two you, or three. Could you remember their uncles playing? Like, <laughs> 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 no, they're all internationals, like Kakavan, Ducalcon, Gomez, uh, Eddie Benarus. Like they're their props. Uh, Census Johnson Census Johnson. But they have some like fucking old geezers in there. Census Johnson, what a legend of European rugby. Yeah, Census, Census and Albacetti. Like, what age is Census Johnson? Census and Albacetti are like third. Census Census Johnson not be the chief of some small island now. Like at, by yeah. this stage of his life, should he not be in charge? But he's also like he. They have been around the block. You know, I, like I'm surprised that they can still like, get out of bed in the morning. They, they, they've been playing in the top fourteen for like fourteen years. Oh, I'd buy it fourteen. Yeah, definitely buy it fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the, yeah, a lot of mileage on the clock. So, so it's, it's when you when you look at those, and even even when you look down there, their list of centres, like it's it's like Joe Rockataco, Albert Vuli Vuli, Frank Minnell still plays with them. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think it's time a few of those guys got the message and retired. Let's hope they realise that on Sunday morning. I think going into the game. It, what would Len- Leinster's weakness is, as you were saying, like Leinster's, we were sort of chatting earlier, is the, the outs is uh, outside. So there's doubt about whether James, at the stage of recording, whether James Lowe is going to play. If James Lowe plays, there's sort of question marks about his defence, and they're going, eh, you know. Is, I'm not as worried is, about that as is, most people seem I'm, to be. I'm not that bothered about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, like James Lowe scores a lot of tries, so. 
it's a big loss if he doesn't. It's a big loss for Leinster if he can't start. So they really need Luke McGrath to start because Fardy's definitely going to be one of those overseas players. And as you were saying, like Isa is Isa's is just not quick anymore. Yeah. Whereas Teddy Toma, like okay, and one MF one MF is, is fast, but like Teddy Toma is a, a beautifully balanced yeah. runner, and he is so fast. So I think that's a place, and I also think, and I don't because uh, uh, Isa and was probably there's very few people who I respect more as a rugby player but it's, it's just there you know that he doesn't have the pace that he used to have he's be up against one of two particularly quick players and we saw how effective and how quickly uh, against Munster that Rassin got on the scoreboard out wide and it's just that's uh, it's just a, a, it's a point it's an awareness for me as they see he felt an awareness in his calf Sean O'Brien uh, I have an awareness of Easton to see on the wing and then uh, Rob Carney isn't as fast as he used to be and then okay poor old Ferg McFadden is, is ruled oh. out for like the only thing that you can't do sorry the only thing the only cheap shot you can take in rugby anymore like I mean you can't go up and compete for the ball you, you can't really do anything you can't touch anybody around the shoulders sure you can't even foreshad people anymore around the, the chest as Haskell was saying about the pathetic game Uh <laughs> But you can't slide in when they're prone with your knees. Yeah, somebody in, was saying to me that, of, that Ferg pulled his hammer in the running. I just never saw that. I think I didn't it's, see that. No, I didn't see. He yeah. got clocked and yeah, he got clocked by Steph Evans. Yeah, uh, putting the ball in like yeah. he got knee in the side, which is sore. Like obviously he's prone. He's he's concentrating on doing one important yeah. thing. He can't doesn't have time to protect himself. But I was looking at that Leinster team playing against the Scarlets going, Jesus, like they're not gonna score in the back three now, as wrong as it turned out. But like it's it's Leinster's Achilles heel is that they've no pace out with sorry, with that with that back three, they've no they've no pace. Now James Lowe isn't isn't as quick as I think he is, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, not, but not he's, speaking for everybody else like he's 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 far more powerful. He's far more yeah. determined. He's got far better far far better balance than I anticipated he would have uh, before I saw him in the flesh. Like I thought he was going to be a real sort of like a jinky Milner Scudder type yeah. of uh, finisher. He's a he's bull. just he's a bull. He's and he's he's got this incredible and he's got like he's got this scorer's instinct, but he's not a flyer. Um, whereas Jordan Larmer does have that beautifully balanced runner. Now, Jordan Larmer's really light because he's still only 19. Um, so and he's he's more quick. Mm-hmm. He's got more quickness than speed, if you know what I mean. I do, yeah. um, that, like, if you... But it does change. It changes everything. If you decide after, like, if he gives you a good 60 minutes and you go, we have... Uh, you decide to bring on Larmer. That asks questions. You know, it does ask questions. Get the ball in Larmer's hands. Anything less than a one on six, he will deliver. <laughs> so I think the the strength, but the strengths for Leinster are uh, tight five, out half, uh, tight five in midfield, and Levy, and uh, and then you sort of look and you go, oh Jesus, it's a bit, it's a bit harsh on the flankers who are class. So yeah. it, it's, it's really encouraging. Reese Ruddock looks like he's going to be involved in the squad. I think. He gives you if you have him on the bench, you've you've got more options. Uh, he's a player you're not worried about bringing on. No, he's and he's 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 more versatile. Um, so you can you can you basically don't have to have uh, Maloney mm-hmm. on the bench. You you can pick you can pick Deegan or you can pick Cone. Yeah. 
with with Ruddock. And I think I think that's the big plus. Um, there's question marks over Luke McGrath, and we don't know how that's going to. We play don't know how that's so. going to play. We don't know if he's going to be picked. We don't know if he's going to be fit if he plays. I think if he plays, like he's he's a great competitor. He's super competitive. So I think if he's on the pitch and like he's he's able to hold it together, I think he'll he'll do really well. So whereas um, Racing have that ability to score out wide. So oh, yeah. like I'm I'm sort of trying to draw like I'm pretty drawing more and and they'll compete really well on the deck. And they have the, the second best line at defence. <laughs> second best line at defence in the world. <laughs> um, no, there's no doubt. You know, it's a final. They're two really good teams. Um, it's on neutral territory. Uh, I don't think the weather's going to be a massive... Uh, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to be about 12 or 14 degrees within that. It's not going to be a scorcher. Mm. It's not going to be Munster and Toulouse in 2000. Um, so... Me, um, I'm just hoping that hoping that Leinster win this one. Yeah, likewise, because I think I think there'd be a lot of disappointment uh, for the team. I think there'd be a lot of disappointment for uh, I think Lancaster and Cullen. I think Lancaster, Lancaster and Cullen have done a really good job in their yeah, two seasons. And the the statistics of who's won it, like you. Matt O'Connor won his, his pro his pro fourteen, but like no one thinks Matt O'Connor was any good at yeah. Leinster. But he's the last guy to have won, and it's a stick that you can get beaten with. And you know what we're saying about Pat Lamb, like if if you win, it colours everything. Yeah, and if you don't win, that colours everything. Uh, certainly immediately, and it's only it's only after right, time. People, when people have forgotten how many, for example, how many tries Leinster scored last year. And I've forgotten it as well, but I know it was a massive amount. It was like they were averaging more than four tries a game in both competitions. Um, and you know the, the the sort of the nature of the squad and the fact that there's so many homegrown guys. Uh, and it's been a really good run. So hopefully we're not hijinxing it now. But yeah. um, I'll leave you with the closing thought, which is the idea that James Lowe celebrates tries by saying his name like Steve Holt. James Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Holt! Steve Holt! Standing for Steve Holt? Steve Holt! And I hear blue strains of no regretting on. Across the street from Cathedral, not down. Meanwhile, back in San Francisco We're trying hard to make this whole thing blend Yet we sit upon this jagged Story block with you, my friend And it's